Lube stands for Leather Uniform Bear Encounter. A year ago this month, a trailer was released on Vimeo for the annual Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco. For those out there who have never been or have never heard of it, the Folsom Street Fair is the world's largest BDSM and leather event. People travel from all over the globe to participate in or watch the multitudes of debauched activities on display, all in beautiful broad daylight across several blocks of Folsom Street. Given the fair's over 30-year history and the fact that it's based in the world's technology capital, I probably shouldn't have been surprised that a trailer would be released in the run-up to the event, but I was, and it was magical. In the style of a Bob Fosse-esque musical, mustachioed leather-clad muscle men sway and snap their fingers, bare asses are spanked in time with the music, women dressed as show ponies prance while bears in chest harnesses shimmy. It's a glorious kinky kaleidoscope of people of every race, gender, and size. Its final shot, originally focused on one man, slowly pulls out to reveal the entire cast joyously writhing and moaning in a big pile on the floor. The music ends, but the moans continue as the credits roll. To me, this five-minute short film was the moment that leather and kink went mainstream. Never mind the Fifty Shades of Grey books. This marked the first time I saw something so beautifully deviant and slickly produced come directly from those communities and reach a mainstream audience in a way that was fun and raunchy, but also playful and inviting to those currently outside the community. But how did we get to this point? I'm Shauna Scott, and this is our Sexual History Podcast, where we talk about sex and history and more sex. Today I'm hanging out with Dr. Connor Von Buggy, a UCD lecturer and pillar of Dublin's leather community. We're going to talk about the history of the leather community here in Dublin and worldwide. And just for all of you out there, I understand that the leather community is a massive umbrella with tons of different kinds of people in it. But just for because we only have 20 to 30 minutes on this show, um, I, we're just going to talk about the, the gay male leather community. Connor, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you very much for asking me. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. Where did the leather community come from? Oh, my God. Well, there's there's lots of ideas about what was the original kind of concept. But I think really you have to look at the U.S. Um, kind of in the late 1940s, early 1950s, um, kind of after... World War Two biker culture became quite um, quite quite a thing, especially in the early 1950s. Yeah, and um, a lot of gay men uh, began to become attributed with that grouping, almost as a not as a backlash against the kind of more effeminate gay culture, but they they wanted to be seen as more masculine, and they thought that this kind of uh, culture was much more masculine so we had a lot so that's kind of really how it started so it was kind of almost like a pushback against stereotypes almost almost exactly and in doing so they they eventually became a stereotype uh, (laughs) which is kind of interesting but so kind of it started that way so it really was biker culture which is where it started and um, it was exactly the same way in Europe. I mean, in 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 Los Angeles, I think it was like the mid nineteen fifties. The very first bike gay biker club started. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of their name. I think oh, satires or something like that. I think they're called. And 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 then there was uh, biker clubs in um, San Francisco. And then in the nineteen fifties, again, more biker clubs appeared in Berlin and in Amsterdam. 
So it kind of began to spread from the 1950s onwards. And because when I think of that time period, I think of like these big kind of gay icons like Marlon Brando and James Dean and like the really tight jeans and like leather chaps and everything. Like it really was kind of like almost cinematic very much very much so and but and it also then became almost like a style like stylized mm. and associated with gay culture um that it became almost like something that pe- people began to emulate the gay culture and brought it into the more um heterosexual mainstream so you saw imitation originally the gay men imitated the straight guys and then um then the straight guys began to imitate the gay guys to kind of bring <laughs> it back around so it was like full circle uh so it really did start with biker culture and here in Europe for example the actual collective grouping of gay fetish clubs um, is called ECMC, which is the European Confederation of Motorcycle Clubs. <laughs> and now, very few of us actually ever get on a bike, but um, yeah. it's that that's kind of how, how it all began. And do you think these things, like these groups, sprung up independently of, of each other and just had the same kind of idea? Or was the European, was that kind of in response to the American, like biker clubs and things? I think it's just even back then, you know, even without the internet, you know, word travelled. Yeah. And it became kind of more prominent. There was, I believe in, in I think it was like the late, late 1950s, there was, a, there was a famous riot that involved um, gay leather men. I can't remember the name of it now, but um, that appeared in international news. There was also some articles in Time magazine in the 1950s um, about a nightclub in San Francisco um, that called the toolbox that uh, became it became much more wide, widely known about this I think subculture. I, I think I read about this um, this Time magazine article. It was like the first time um, kind of any LGBT issues were put in like a mainstream magazine. magazine. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember when it was, but I think it was the 1950s. It was before Stonewall. Yeah. Um, kind of a watershed moment for our subculture we still call it a subculture I know you said main. it's become mainstream earlier <laughs> but to me it's still, it'll always be considered a subculture is that it was the Stonewall rights so the one thing that we always say and if, you, if one thing is the drag community and the leather community get on very well we're the ones who started the Stonewall rights the Stonewall rights were started by drag queens and leather men <laughs> and um, we've been very good partners ever since um, so and that then gained even more kind of international notoriety for, for that so it kind of so it started in America and then progressed worldwide. I mean, you've got leather clubs all over the world, mm. really. I mean, in Australia has quite a few. Um, there's one, I think there's one in New Zealand. Um, then Europe has quite a lot. Canada, um, all across the US. I believe there's even one in Chile and uh, South America. There's uh, one in Seattle where I'm from called the Eagle, which yeah. I was not allowed in because it was like a very particular night that I was not allowed in. <laughs> Some nights it's men only. And <laughs> I was other very nights disappointed. It's mixed. Um, <laughs> but the eagle, the eagle is itself is a name that's synonymous with this culture. There's a lot of bars named the eagle. So mm. you have the eagle, New York, the eagle in Washington D.C., the eagle in Seattle, and um, you know. So the, it, it, there's, I think, there's even an eagle in London. So this name is it's a synonymous bar name for um, our our subculture. Okay, um, so. 
by the 1960s, San Francisco has really established itself as the LGBT capital of the world. And by the 1980s, like the Folsom Street Fair has started. But where where was Ireland in all this? Like what was going on in the culture? Well, in Ireland, I think before I even get to Ireland, we maybe just talk about Europe. Europe, um, it was very much underground and it wasn't as public as it was in America. Um, And but Berlin and Amsterdam led the way in making it much more accessible and much more open. So I think it was 1975 or 76 when the first Leathermen Berlin at Easter festival happened. And that still continues on to this day. There is still a very big leather festival at Easter in Berlin. And then actually in recent years, I think from about about 2004 onwards, I think, um, we've had Falsam in Berlin, which is held in the first weekend of September, the first or second weekend of September each year. And that's really, really massive. So you're in, in Europe, those two cities led the way from like the 1970s onwards. But here in Ireland, it was non-existent really until the 1990s. I mean, yes, it existed. There were men who were into leather and fetish, uh, but there was no no way it was going to be exposed uh, significantly on the scene in Dublin. I mean, you very rarely you would come across uh, a, a gay leather man on the scene in Dublin. And then in the 1990s, um, there was one or two randomly held fetish events, um, which were very like across all fetishes there you know it was rubber latex leather uh, bondage the whole lot yeah um, I think actually Rory O'Neill set up one of the first ones Panty um, that was called Gag that was in the early 1990s yeah I remember going to a talk where he was like talking about everything that went on it sounded like great crack but at, at the same time I was just like holy it was crap. even today I think it's gag with <laughs> hell some of the things that got on <laughs> were very notorious um I think some of um some of the his 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 um painting work shall we say yes. has gone down quite uh, infamously um, but uh, kind of then in the late 1990s and early 2000s there was a few activists here in Dublin um, in particular who were very heavily involved in the fetish scene in Europe and then they brought it to Ireland um, so for example Carl Hayden I think a lot of people know about Carl um, he's been ubiquitous with activism in Ireland f- since the 1990s onwards um, Carl helped organise a few different events for gay men and that had a fetish focus whether it was skinhead or leather or rubber and then also um, you have um, Joe Harnett who came back from Chicago um, in the 1990s and set up a group um, which eventually became um, Lube it was called L-U-B-E that is a fantastic name I know and I have friends who were involved in that and I think I managed to attend one event when I was in my very early 20s before Lube kind of kind of faded into the background Lube stands for Leather Uniform Bear Encounter (laughs) Um, and and um, Joe, in particular, um, he he basically put an ad out into um, I think um, GCN asking could anybody interested in other meet up in outhouse, and that kind of took place in the early two thousands. And um, Joe himself then went on to be the first Irishman to um, participate in International Mister Leather in Chicago a few years later, and then that then brought some prominence into our community and um, so Lou went on for a few years and then kind of I think it was about 2008 or so I can't remember the exact years but we had another group called Rule which was oh my god what was that what did that that stand for um rubber uniform leather 
encounter I think uh, possibly um, and that was um, that group went for quite a while and um, it you know was it was kind of met regular relatively regularly on a kind of uh, uh, like a three monthly basis and that ran for about two years and um, we also had another one that was held down in the basement in Panty Bar back when it was called Gubu mm. um, and I don't that was called Dress Code my god I'm trying to remember all these names um, <laughs> Um, and dress code ran as well periodically um, in in the basement in Gubu for um, you know a year or two, and then it kind of it kind of everything kind of faded away and nothing was taking place in Dublin, let alone the rest of the country. And um, you know, so a lot of people would go to Berlin. So you know, if you wanted to experience to wear your leathers out and experience fetish. You didn't stay in Dublin. You, you and I suppose like Berlin or like London or Amsterdam, those would be the kind of big yes, capitals of ex- Europe. Exactly. So you would, you know, maybe two or three times a year, you'd pack up your leather gear and you'd go for a long weekend to one of those cities and hang out there. And, you know, it used to happen where I remember it was the early, you know, from about 2009 onwards, you know, there was like three or four weekends a year in Berlin where you'd go and you'd meet nothing but Irish men. In Berlin, you'd be kind of going, what, what's going on? And you'd go there and you'd be kind of going, but OK, so we have a critical mass. There's a critical mass of men. Yeah. And that we all go to Berlin and we all go there together and we all interact with each other together. So why can't we have an event in Ireland? And one of my good, one of my good friends, um, Eamon Redmond, um, he took it upon himself to see, OK, let's see if we can find uh, a venue. And then um, some more of our friends got together and basically we decided to hold a night and we called it Geared Ireland. And that was um, in 2013. And um, since then, basically, we so we, we found a venue that supported us. And uh, so Geared Ireland has been the longest running leather and fetish gay, gay group in the country. And we hold events pretty much once a month whether it's uh, a full club night or whether it's just going out on the tear and in our gear in the city um, and you know so so we've basically been the apex of of the the, the community uh, in and the most visible aspect of the community here in Ireland for the last three years um, and we're now becoming part we are uh, a member of the um, European Confederation of Motorcycle Clubs so we're part of the bigger European network and you know, we, we, we are continuously tr- trying to have different types of events. Many, you know, we have bondage workshops. We have sales of gear where we sell our secondhand gear to get new people into it. Um, and, you know, so so while we might only, you know, we, we're not an actual physical place. We, you know, we, we are a, a club and we've got a, a decent membership. And, you know, we take part in Pride and we always get a great reception at the Pride March. And um, it's good to be more visible in the community and to actually be seen a lot more than, than the way it was previously. Yeah, definitely. Like I've known you guys for about a year and even one of the guys I worked on the Yes Equality campaign with was a geared guy. And, um, and then at Pride last year, we, he was like, come hang out with my crowd and so we went and had drinks with you guys and it was just it felt like such a tight-knit community and very very supportive and like the more I got to know you guys like it just like I love seeing the updates on Facebook even though like I'm not involved in the club nights. I really love seeing that you guys are doing like Christmas parties and like doing the the geared sales and stuff and like 
and being really inviting to to newbies, which I think is just like so important um, because it's one thing that like I love pushing the issue on is that like we need to be talking more openly mm. about like sex and sexuality and just being a friendly face to that. And I think you guys have done that so incredibly well. One of the things I think because we were a group of friends to start out with, yeah, that it just kind of steamrolled from there. And you know, there's it, there were a core little group that run it, but we have a huge amount of regulars that turn up, and we're all you know we all get on great it's a so it's essentially it's a social night and mm. it's for people to meet people and and to, to then you know go off and have fun and you know and we've got a really you know we, we tend to have a lot of events at Fibber McGee's on Parnell Street and they're fantastic they're a great venue you know we love them they love us it's 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 a great great partnership and um, but we've one of the things we felt that in the last year in particular was that we wanted to be more visible in the community and, and it's one thing to go to pride once a year and be seen by everybody so one of the things we decided to do that on alternate months to our club night which is a men only event and um, we would go out in our gear to Panty Bar and to the George and to Neyland so that everybody could see us um, in our gear and see that we're part of this big bigger community and those nights I absolutely love because the reception we get from girls from guys you know it's uh, it's that's really really great to see because people kind of kind of going we didn't realise there was a, a leather community in Ireland we're like well we've been here for quite a while yeah. uh, but because we were always having our club nights we weren't getting as much visibility. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a few weeks ago, we went, we had a, an, an event that started in Panty Bar and we went to the George and we had an area reserved in the George and the march of leather men and fetish <laughs> guys from Panty Bar across Cable Street Bridge and down Dame Street was greeted with cheers on the street. Like, you know, 50 leather men just walking from one pub to another, but all of us in our gear and the people of Dublin just were thrilled to see it. <laughs> and if you think about it, like five, six years ago, I'm not entirely sure that that cheering would have taken place. You know, our country has evolved quite a bit in the last, you know, few years. And the acceptance level of these kind of minority LGBT groups um, is becoming much more, as you said earlier, much more mainstream. Mm. We're becoming much more visible. and, And that can only be a good thing for us. Definitely. Talk to me a little bit about IML. Oh my God. (laughs) So yeah, so International Mr. Leather is uh, kind of probably one of the biggest Leatherman festivals in the world. I mean, after Falsam, I know Falsam can attract up to a quarter of a million people to that district in San Francisco. Um, International Mr. Leather is a competition of uh, title holders from around the world, but particularly the U.S., um, and it's held in Chicago um, on the last weekend of May every year. Um, this was the 38th year of it. So it started in 1979. And um, to get into IML, to be a part- contestant at IML, you have had to either have won a, a club title or a state title in the US or a national title as well um, so and um, do we we have titles here in we Ireland we have titles here so our club we have um, we have three titles in our club um, t- to cover all the fetishes so we have Mr. Rubber Ireland and our current Mr. Rubber Ireland is uh, Ronan um, and then we have Mr. Leather Ireland uh, for 2016 and that's Cahill um, and then we have Mr. Geared Ireland which is the club title so that covers all of the fetishes and that's Steve um, so those are our current 2016 title holders I was Mr. Geared Ireland in 2015 which allowed me to go to 
IML in 2016. So, um, so because I held the club title, I was able to go and represent Ireland um, for that in May. And I competed against 58 other people from around the world, uh, 58 other guys, I should say. Um, we were the biggest group since 2004. So we wow. were a big, big class of men, uh, 59 of us. Um, and it was the most intense and crazy experience of my life it oh do was do tell just, it was <laughs> kind of the build up to it you know you had to have an application and you had to have a summary a bio biography and you had to t- talk about your achievements and you know what you'd like to do with the title and all this and you had to have like official photos done and all that and then you had to you know you were told this pack you were told okay you need to have nine outfits for the weekend for official and staged things and you're kind of going what nine nine leather outfits and I was like you're okay. never going to get that on the on the uh, Ryanair flight well it wasn't Ryanair <laughs> I flew but I, I could tell you I carried 66 kilos oh my god with me to Chicago um, of boots and various different types of boots and various items of leather clothing <laughs> my mantra was accessorize and get lots of different <laughs> accessories in different colors um uh so um yeah so it was uh, i flew in on the wednesday and then it began on the thursday so we had or- a full day of orientation on the thursday we got our contestant numbers we got our iml medals um and then on the friday the contest actually began and that began with um interviews um where you had an 8 minute interview with a panel of um nine judges and uh you know, there's a lot to answer, you know, when they ask you questions and you've got to like limit yourself in, into eight minutes. You had fo- official photo shoots. Then you had that night um, and in a theatre for about um, 2000 people. Uh, we had the flag ceremony where we each carried out our country's flag while our national anthem played um, <laughs> in front of everybody. That's when you're introduced to all of the, the, the people attending the, the weekend. Um, and I think I had to have two outfits for that night. Um, and uh, then on the next Next day, which was the Saturday, um, we had our kind of the most nerve wracking portion of the contest, which was called Pecs and Personality. And it's all about stage presence. This is where we had to do a musical number at the start. So you can imagine the choreography of 59 men, uh, which probably none of us had any rhythm <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, we had to go on stage. Uh, how, wait, how long were you given to like learn the choreography? Oh, we were we were in the theatre, I think, from about two in the afternoon and we were on stage at nine o'clock that night. Um, so it was a long, it was a long day, um, <laughs> and uh, but the funny, the choreography of that was well, it was we were it it, it was uh, it was easy enough, but it was just the stage is quite big, so you need to know your entrances and exits and timings and and you know fifty nine men around in their boots going around uh, under the lights doesn't help. Um, but pecs and personality, you have to show your physique, so your body, and you have to show your. Um, kind of your your spontaneity on stage so you get a random question based on your application while you're standing on stage in a pair of boots and a jockstrap in front of under uh, these hot under lights these hot lights with a thousand people in the room over a thousand <laughs> people looking at you and you've got to be spontaneous and answer a spontaneous question and you and know, what was the question you were given my god my question was bizarre because i i uh I was, it was nothing in relation to my application and I think the look of disgust on my face when it came out I think was, was photographed <laughs> widely. Um, I had a question of um, so Connor uh, we believe that the, the following three sports are very uh, 
uh, famous in Ireland and popular in Ireland, hurling uh, Gaelic football and, and rugby. It gets better. Um, so if you could pick one of these three sports and pick one of the judges to be on your team, um, which That's sport? So... Which sport would you pick, and why? Which judge would you pick, and why? What would you get them to wear, and what would your um, uh, club rules be? So that was my question, and I have no, I had nothing about sport in my application. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was my spontaneous uh, question to to ask, and I was flabbergasted when I got it but I think I recovered well yeah um, I, I basically dragged I brought camogie into it and um, I, I concentrated on the one and only female judge we had so oh, brilliant um, that got a kind of a, I didn't realise there were some Irish women in the audience and I got a big cheer off them while I was started talking about camogie <laughs> the Irish like no matter where you go in the world you're always going to get like this really awesome welcome because I don't know what it is about Ireland that just like everybody associates with and they just love yeah. so much yeah, yeah. And, and actually the whole Irish contingent that were there got a got a big big reception um, you know we were very well received there um, then on Sunday's the finals and in, on Sunday um, it, the top 20 are announced so out of the 59 men 20 go forward to the finals um, which is a whole extra kind of almost like mini competition on the night and um, I was very lucky I got into the Top 20, I was in shock when it was announced because if you look at the photos of me, I'm completely oblivious to the fact that my name was <laughs> called out. Um, and then we had to give, so the top 20 then had to give a 90 second speech on a topic of their choice, which was timed. And if you went over, your mic was cut off. And, and can I just say, like, before you go into, like, the, the content of your speech, I, like, I heard it, like, when you posted it on Facebook, I listened to it and it was just so poignant and just so timely because it came around the time of the Pulse nightclub shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, the speech I hadn't, it, the, 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 the speech I had written about um, a month in advance um, and to, to practice it, and you know, in the hope that I would get into the top 20. And um, only two people had heard it before I left Mm. Um, and I was just you know just to to gauge if they thought it was good and um, uh, so then the Pulse nightclub happened and literally it was only only about a week before yeah. Uh, no, it happened a week. Think, it was a week after my yeah. speech. So my speech happened, and then the Pulse nightclub happened the week later, um, and that was a lot of people uh, spoke to me about that. But my speech was essentially about, um, you know, uh, in everybody looks at Ireland as being this amazing example of equality, but it was a very long and tough road, and so I spoke about. Um, the Fairview Park murder um, in the early 1980s and um, just Declan Flynn's murder to me and what happened out of it at a time when our community was illegal Um, and to go from that to full equality in my lifetime in you know in 32 years just shows you how tough it has been but also how resilient our community has been but also how Ireland has evolved and it was but I I wanted to highlight to the world basically and to the people at at IML that you know we can stand here on these stages and and do all of these and make these speeches but actions speak louder than words and there are so many countries around the world where it is still illegal to be gay and gay people are still being killed and oppressed just for being who they are and 
I had been to Tanzania in early May and had met with a group there. Um, and when I heard what their lives were like, I realised how amazingly fortunate I was to be born in Ireland and that I was able to live in a country that, that has full equality. So that was what my speech was about. And so it wasn't about leather and it wasn't about, you know, uh, you know, being international, what would happen if I was international, Mr. Leather. I just really wanted to show that Ireland can evolve and, um, you know, our community and the whole of the public can evolve with us. Um, and that was what my speech was about. And and I remember, um, you know, I, I walked off the stage completely frazzled because if there's, if there's one thing about being a lecturer when you're talking, it's that you talk to people um, and you see people in front of you and you talk to them. On stage at that Harris Theatre in 5,000 people, I saw nobody. The lights were so bright and the state and the outer area where this audience were sitting was so black, I projected into nothing. So that to me was, was a bit of a shocker. So I remember I walked off the stage thinking, oh my God, that was awful. And I completely was oblivious to people cheering and clapping and you know and then I was getting messages for I'm still getting messages from people saying how it brought a tear to their eye and it made them remember the struggles and that it was very poignant and then a few weeks later then was the Pulse nightclub and um, I got a lot of people commenting about my speech then Um, so for me that was the pinnacle of my IML experience that I was able to get into the top 20 and deliver that speech. Um, and everything that came afterwards, I, you know, the, I think uh, half an hour later, I was back on stage wearing a jock strap and a chaps and a chest harness waving. <laughs> and then I had to go and put on all my full leather formals for the final um, announcement of the winner. And, you know, and the experiences I had in the backstage area and with all of my 59 or 58 brothers um, that were at IML with me I mean that's we're a family now you know we have this amazing bond and, and I can travel the world and, and see them um, but but that speech that I delivered was was to me the most important thing that I did there and I know I did the podcasts for gay community news and they were quite popular but but my speech was my I would have been very disappointed if I wasn't able to deliver that speech so I was very very grateful to And is it still on YouTube can people still see it? Yeah, yeah, it's on my Facebook page and it's in it's if you go to the IML 2016 um page on YouTube I think every single speech um all of the 20 speeches are there um all of the pecs and personality questions are there so if people want to go and see that GA question they can no yes. problem. <laughs> <laughs> um but but for me IML um was like it was an amazing experience it was crazy absolutely crazy I was getting about four hours sleep a night um, I was eating surviving on protein bars and apples and coffee and vitamin B tablets and um, it was like nothing I had ever experienced and if that's what being a supermodel or being famous is I don't want it no <laughs> way on earth it was fine for five days but uh, it was it was pretty crazy Um and, you know, we, we were very fortunate with Geared as well that actually one of our committee members, John, was actually one of the judges at IML as well this year. So we had this kind of like double impact where one of the nine judges was our secretary of the club and then I was participating. And then last year, Kevin uh, Murphy, he took part at IML and he came second. So yeah. it was a huge, big thing. And then so and then hopefully next year, Cahill, um, who's our current Mr. Leather Ireland, hopefully he'll go uh, uh, go over to it. It's, a, it's an expensive undertaking. Um, but um, from my conversations with him, I think he's very keen to go and take part and to experience it. So it's um, 
it's a way for our club to be get to get a lot of exposure and and um, for us to be seen. And as you said, the Irish are very popular wherever we go. So, um, you know, capitalize on that popularity whenever we I'm can. So, I'm pro- I'm really surprised that this isn't something that like discovered Ireland hasn't like cashed <laughs> in on the way they do with like the Rose of Tralee because well, you guys are like such great ambassadors for your community and such great ambassadors for like Ireland in general. Well, like, I hope so. I mean, it would be funny <laughs> if Discover Ireland decided to include us as part of, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, their 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 um, advertising for Ireland. Come and meet the Leathermen of Ireland. Uh, it would be very funny. But where you know we do on we do understand the need to you know strengthen our own community here in the country. Okay, but also then to build links with, especially with our European fellow European clubs because they come over to us um, to our events and you know we strengthen and we, we gain new knowledge and we strengthen our relationships and that's a really like fantastic thing for us as a club to kind of know that we've also got the support from the international community and, and while quite often you know we sit in our committee meetings and we're kind of going oh my god we need to get our numbers up and we need more people you know and I think when we started we think when we think back to when we started we had we only had we might have had 50 or 60 guys at the start and we used to be delighted with 50 or 60 guys and now we're kind of going oh yeah we had like 190 guys at our January <laughs> event and you're kind of going oh yeah that's kind of a good number you know so um, knowing that we can get that, that many people in the country to come to our events you know it, it, it shows that hard work does does pay off and, and while sometimes I do feel as if I'm like a broken record on on, on Facebook going, oh, please come to our events and we're doing this this month and this this month, it does actually get the message out, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that's about time. But before we go, you have an announcement to oh, make. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. So, so tell us what's happening. So Geared, up. because of um, because of our, our con- kind of continued expansion at Geared, um, we are we wanted to we wanted to emulate some of the other Bigger, bigger events around Europe and around the world, and so we've had. We always hold our title holder competition at the, at the end of January, and last year it was very popular, and um, this year we decided, okay, let's take it one step further, and um, so basically we are going to be holding on the last weekend of January, from the twenty seventh to the 29th of January, Leather Pride Dublin, the very first one. Yay. Um, and we're going to be ha- holding a series of events over the weekend. We're going. We have a the, we have a website and a Facebook page, leather leatherpridedublin.ie, and um, we're going to have some kind of just socialising events, which are free at different locations. We're going to have a VIP package, which will include a sequence of events like a leather dinner and leather cocktails and a whiskey tour and um, leather afternoon tea, which sounds hilarious. And but also include things like um, LGBT history talks and um, leather history talks from an Irish perspective we will have our big title holder contest as well on the Saturday night um, and for that we're opening it up to the whole community so guys and girls can come along to that as long as they're in fetish gear so if you want to come you put on your leather put on uh, I will bring my harness there you go you'll be be perfect so you know and and, you know we're going to be um, the Nivnock um, crowd in Dublin that's the pansexual um, fetish group and you know they're going to be advertising it for us as well um, you know to get some more of their their involved in it and um, you know we hope that uh, the whole weekend will be well attended both nationally and internationally so um, it's a big step for us because it's a lot of organising and um, you know we're going to have to 
you know, <laughs> to do a lot of, of advertising and things like that. But we really hope it's going to be a, a big success and hopefully it'll then become an annual event uh, because, you know, Leather Pride Amsterdam, Leather Pride in Antwerp, you've got Leather Prides all across the US. And, you know, London has full fetish week. Um, so I know we can't compete with that. But, you know, uh, there's there's a core group of us here and we're, we're committed to kind of getting this going. So we hope that uh, January will be a big success and that it will broaden people's horizons in, in Dublin. Well, that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for coming. Men of Ireland, men of Europe, get yourselves down to one of the Geared Nights. You can follow them on Facebook. What's the Facebook Geared Ireland. Just Geared Geared Ireland. Geared Ireland. And um, our website is www.geardireland.com. And we also have a Twitter handle as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming in. I'm delighted. Thank you very much. Hey guys, it's me again. I just wanted to say thanks to Dr. Connor for coming in and talking to us about that leather community stuff. And and thank you guys so much for listening. This is our very first Our Sexual History podcast. If you want to hear more from me, um, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on headstuff.org. We're also looking for suggestions for future shows. So if you're a historian or if you have like a history background, you have some cool sexual history facts for us, please get in contact with us at sexhistory at headstuff.org. As some of you may know, I also have my my other project. My sort of main work is running sexshepa.ie, Ireland's first health and design-focused sex shop. So if you need to get yourself some awesome body-safe toys, come on down to sexshepa.ie. Our amazing artwork was done by Sheena Flynn and our music was done by Shane O'Sullivan. See you next month, guys. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.